tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Claire Hornby, the founder and CEO of Me and M, the 14-year-old British fashion label that specializes in flattering, functional, forever women's clothes. The profitable company has a strong presence in the UK, including with seven stores and a concessions business through Selfridges, and it's now expanding to the US with two stores opening in New York by the end of the year. I wanted to ask Claire about the brand's expansion strategy, seeing as the U.S. is a tough fashion market to crack. I also wanted to ask about what's behind its recent growth, going from a reported 46 million pounds in 2021 revenue to 80 million pounds last year. Welcome, Claire. Thank you so much, and thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I was saying two stores by the end of the year. Are we open yet? Up and running? We're not quite. In New York. <laughs> not quite according to plan. <laughs> uh, the first one will open uh, beginning of March next year. Fantastic. Am I correct? Upper East Side. Tell me your locations and tell me how you how you chose them. So I know New York quite well. I've been coming for years and we also have a lot of customers in America already. So we have, use the data as well. Uh, so a link between intuition and data, as it were. Uh, and I came to New York and looked at the Madison um, area, stayed at the Carlisle for a week, watched the customers coming and going. So the first stores are opening opposite the Carlisle, just around the corner from the Mark on Madison. And the second one is down the road from my second favorite hotel or uh, the Mercer on Mercer Street, uh, just down from Rag and Bone. And actually a third store is opening in East Hampton. I feel like that Madison Avenue area, we just had Tanya Taylor on the podcast. Are you near her? Like it's such a hot spot. I think she opened there just now recently. Yeah, she did. Uh, and in fact, she's so wonderful. She reached out and um, I'm sure we're going to have coffee um, before we open. And I listened to her podcast and she was excellent. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yay. Thanks for listening. <laughs> she was excellent. We'll have our fun today. Tell me about, I guess, I guess the U.S. market. You saw growth in the, in the country, in, in the region. And where were the customers? Were you doing advertising locally? Were there influencers? I know celebrities love your brand, but like how is the local market finding it? A lot of they were actually finding it in the London stores. So we're in Harrods and Selfridges. We're in uh, lots of beautiful London neighborhoods, such as Notting Hill, Mayfair, Belgravia. We have a store opposite Claridge's, um, which is the comparable hotel to the Carlisle. So a lot of um, discovery through the UK stores. Um, we also uh, run per performance marketing, so digital channels. And then we started out sending out our lookbooks. So we send 14 lookbooks in the UK and we started sending out lookbooks in the US and they got great traction. Um, and then when we get the customers in through those channels, um, we then um, tell you about the new collections through email. Okay. How smart. I have to ask, our international fashion reporter, Zofia Zviglinska, she writes a lot about how it's a challenging market in the UK. I have a hunch that is all wrapped up in Brexit and those who maybe have a larger business or had a larger business um, selling throughout Europe. Is the fact that your most of your business, UK, Europe, is, is UK focused. Is that correct? Or tell me if I'm wrong there. Um, so we're actually very focused on the UK. Um, and our second biggest market is the US. And our third biggest market is Australia. 
Well, that works well. <laughs> Great. Oh my gosh. Well, let's circle back to your founding story. I think you found it with a co-founder back in 2009, totally different landscape considering like the the growth and the evolution of what's happening on digital. Um, yeah. What was the plan of action? My business partner is called Emma. We worked in advertising together. That's how the name comes about. So me and Emma shortened to me and M. And it was when we saw that in a logo format that we realized it, it could it could become a great brand because um, the written word looked great around those two names. It's a palindrome. It reads the same way front and back. Uh, but the story really begins with me um, in childhood. I made clothes with my mum. We bought fabrics. We bought patterns. I stood endlessly in front of the mirror making clothes. I think my love of fashion came then and my eye for detail, pocket positioning, seam detailing, all of that came as a child. I then decided I wanted to be a fashion buyer. Um, so I segued after my degree onto the graduate training scheme at Harrods, very keen to become a fashion buyer. Uh, and... Uh, I used my staff discount, which was um, 70% off in the sale, and uh, bought beautiful luxury clothing. And my love of luxury started then. But I quickly realized, very naively, that if I worked in fashion buying, I would have to work Saturdays. But I went into marketing, <laughs> I would get my Saturdays off, my weekends off. So I actually focused my time there in marketing segue into advertising, which is where I meet Emma. And advertising, uh, it's looking for the gaps in the market, it's strategic positioning of brands, it's the love of the customer, it's running a process from beginning to end that starts with creative through to commercial. If you put those three live stages together, you get to me and M, which is direct-to-consumer, women's web business, really focusing on the quality price proposition uh, but as you said at the beginning, uh, a, uh, a quality brand focuses on fit and flattering. And that's what we focus on. So we are obsessed around the fabric. We obsess around um, th th making flattering pieces and then outfit building thereafter. Um, so really, that's how, it all, that's how it all came about. And if I add on a fourth life stage, I then became a very busy mum. I'm a stepmother. My husband set his own business up. I was running between the countryside and the city. And then I really started to understand busy. And that's when I thought, right, we need to build this quality business around a busy woman. Yes, I have to ask. As a busy founder now, I mean, have you had a Saturday off in, in recent history? <laughs> The amazing thing about running your own business is you run your own schedule, but you never have any time yes. off ever. <laughs> yes, I wouldn't think. Um, talk. Let's talk about the the differentiator in terms of the price point. It's like designer quality, this kind of contemporary, more advanced contemporary price point. Um, and at a time when everybody's raising their prices and things are more expensive, have you kind? How have you kind of kept to this happy place? Because we've really stuck to the direct-to-consumer model. So direct-to-consumer, as you know, is you own the data, but you own your own channels, you own your own timings, and you own your own pricing. So you're not selling through a third party. So everything you're making is going directly from you, directly to the customer. And I have lots of conversations with people around, you've got to do wholesale. And never say never, but thus far, we haven't ever sold through a third party. And that's how we keep very strictly to 
the price quality equation. You're such the exception to the rule because the resounding message is like DTC is over. Digital advertising is expensive. It's the only way to make a go of it. Like, wow, good for you. And what what has been your approach to digital advertising? You just haven't relied on it maybe like others, would you say? It's a very important part of um, spreading the word. Um, but what we what we do is because we think about you as a busy woman, we think about your entire life. So we build solutions for a busy life and we think about what you need at certain times of the year. And we also think you're busy. Women run big families. They run businesses. They run lives. They run, they're running around all the time. And if we can have thought about everything for you, you can focus on what you need to do that day, what you need to say that day. So because we focus on outfit building, quite often we make it so easy for you. <laughs> You, you end up buying quite a few pieces from us. So it actually means that uh, the economics around digital marketing um, work quite well. A lot of folks go to wholesale for awareness and alignment, but I think that you started self-funded and maybe you've taken on some investment that's maybe helped to support some of the other, I guess, strategies that, that are working for you. Tell me about your approach to, to fundraising. Well, we funded it in the early years ourselves. And then uh, we took on a couple of friends uh, when you're really building up the supply chain and the working capital side of the business. Uh, but we've been profitable now for seven years. Oh, my goodness. And your stores are profitable, I read. Fantastic. Yeah. And um, last year, um, we sold a minority stake to a company called Highland Europe, um, which were the investors behind Matches Fashion. Um, and that's been a very happy experience. But that wasn't fundraising. You're starting you, your U.S. expansion in New York. Talk about your growth trajectory, your planned growth trajectory from there. You, do you want to hit L.A. and kind of the other coastal, big coastal markets? So when we look at the data, the data tells us that we should start in New York and then we should look west. Uh but um, we're actually just um, employed a company now to look at our entire location strategy um, so that when we uh, open the stores, we're ready to move to fourth store, fifth store quite quickly if we see the economics working. And the economics around those stores won't just be on the stores. They'll be around the omni-channel customer because uh, we know that an omni-channel customer spends three times more than a single a single channel customer. Uh, and the strategy is very similar to what we've employed in the UK. So we love stores because they are great recruitment centers because for a brand that puts um, their money where their mouth is and says we're all about quality, the best place to really test that, uh, I can say as much as, as I like, it's really, I, you know, try it. The quality is amazing. But it's only when you touch, feel it, try it on, do you understand the thought process that's gone into the product. So actually stores are a really big part of the customer journey. Um, and we put them where you live because we're bit, you're busy. So we like to put stores where you live and build out communities from there. Um, so if, if, if we can make it work in the US through stores, then we will roll out um, in a similar way to how we have in the UK. It's just, you're so much bigger. <laughs> there are so many more <laughs> opportunities. And and obviously, you can't think about America as being one country. It's 52 countries. Uh, so there are 52 opportunities to, you know, 
uh, open stores. Probably not 52, but, you know, there's, ma- there's many more opportunities. Yeah. Whereas actually, um, you know, at the, the, we've just opened a store in Edinburgh and that's fantastic. Um, and okay. that's going really well. Um, so we do still have expansion in the UK as well. Is it something beyond like a point of sale? What's happening in store? You mentioned kind of building community. Are you holding events? Is that a big part of it? Or what else is happening? The stores tend to run their own communities. We get so many women in the stores and we love dwell time in stores. So we like you to bring in your dog, bring in your kid, bring in your partner, and we like you to dwell. Um, so the stores actually become these communities all by themselves. Um, so we don't try hard to build a community. It just happens. How would you describe your shopper demo? I read that you are like the fashion editor's, I don't know, secret weapon. I'm like, I'm kind of a fashion editor. That's why I like it. But <laughs> who is she? So she's busy. <laughs> uh, yes. She's increasingly multi-generational. So we see a lot um, of the mother in the store with daughter, even with their mother. So we're very multi-generational. You don't always get the daughter side of the customer in the data because they're not self-purchasing yet. So, But I know from, I have two teenage daughters and I know their friends buy it, but they don't buy it. <laughs> their mums buy it. Yeah. But we really think of yeah. you as coming into the brand um, when you are desiring a higher quality product. So normally around... If you're going to be able to afford the price point, normally around 28. And then we really think about life stages. So you're 28, getting busy at work. Then you're moving to becoming potentially moving house, then a new mum. Then the kids are growing up and you're probably juggling motherhood and work or you're juggling big families. You travel a lot. Um, travel is obviously a bigger thing in the US than it is here because you have so much domestic travel. Um you go on holiday a lot, you um, socialize a lot, um, but it's really around the style. You know, it's not a out there brand. It's not trying to try too hard. It's about you buying the pieces, feeling great in them, and then wearing them and styling them how you want to style them. But if you want to buy the whole look, we make that really easy for you. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. So at the beginning, pre-recording, I was mentioning about how I love your blazers and they fit my puny shoulders. But (laughs) tell me about how you're mastering fit. You're getting it right, Um, whether size inclusivity is prioritized or what's happening on the fit front. We've always been obsessed around fit and that's part of the luxury process, as it were, to produce a beautiful product that starts with amazing fabric and ends up in a beautiful, uh, very flattering silhouette. It takes a lot of time. Um, and back to me being a child, that's where I obsessed around standing in front of the mirror, getting the fit right. And um, we have a really team of amazing fit technicians in the business. And actually, our reputation in the UK has been um, built up around our trouser fit. So I've been referred to as the trouser whisperer with an anthropological understanding of women. <laughs> um, and then thereafter, we, we build outfits around that. And of course, it's grown across all categories now. But yes, I would say in the UK, we built our reputation and the wonderful uh, press over here, uh, many very supportive journalists got onto the trouser fit as being exceptional very early on. You're right. It's not like out there. I remember when I wore a suit that there was a lot of talk about 
like, well, asking like, where's your suit from? Where's your suit from? And I was one, and then I got me to thinking like your take on logos, like logo is not a fit with your brand or is it? No, no, <laughs> no logos. <laughs> I, didn't <think> so. <laughs> I didn't think so. No logos. You won't <laughs> see a logo anywhere. Yes. Right. And what's your approach to discounting again, when it comes to the pricing matter and it's holiday season, you can control your own discounts, not being at the mercy of wholesalers. What's going on? So that's a very, very good point. Um, so we do, we have two sales a year. We have our autumn winter sale and our spring summer sale. Um, and we use demand planning in the business effectively. So, so that we don't put that much into sale and we really sell up. We celebrate sell up. That's a tongue twister. We celebrate <laughs> sellouts. Uh, but we do, nice. uh, mark down twice a year. But we okay. don't do Black Friday Thanks. and we don't discount at all during the year other than two sale moments. So quite traditional yeah. in that respect, in the sort of old, old days of retailing when you, you know, Harrods was famous for its summer and its winter sale. For sure. Well, t- how did the pandemic treat you? I mean, we're, we're about three years in. I guess we're still there. <laughs> but um, more than three. My God, I have. Who knows? Days. I've lost all but, um, track of time. <laughs> Totally. I think of you first for your like amazing workwear, but were people shopping for this? And that's not all you do, obviously. But yeah, what were folks shopping for? Well, when it first happened, I thought that was it. Game over. Uh, as uh, and I'm sure you've spoken to enough businesses to know that the customer went on hold for two weeks, exactly two weeks. Um, everyone went into shop. Obviously, no one, no one had, had experienced anything like this. Uh, and then the heat wave happened. And that was a stroke of luck for I think all retailers um and we started selling a lot of um summer dresses and then the zoom call took over and suddenly everybody (laughs) was thinking about um above the desk what did they look like above the desk so we started selling lots of tops and then they were going on dog walks (laughs) nothing else to do or running so it was zoom to dog walk uh it, so lots of, so casual really switched on comfortable, beautiful casual clothes, anything with some detail so that you could look good on the Zoom call. And that took over. And because actually back to the direct to consumer model, we make clothes much closer to the customer moment. We were actually able to pivot quite quickly out of the stuff that they weren't wearing. So actually, oh, we didn't have that bad a time. <laughs> nice. It wasn't easy, though. More- it was not easy. We had to move like the clappers. Like we really had to, we had to rethink very quickly. Uh, and we, um, and we were all very, very, very busy and very, very, very stressed. I'm not saying it was a walk in the park, but we did pivot very quickly. Right on. Mm-hmm. Tell me about how fast you can move, because I know that you are doing more like monthly drops as opposed to seasonal to kind of stay more timely and be more up to the minute. Um, say you want to, I don't know, lean into this opportunity. Everybody's loving joggers. I don't know. Um, how fast can you get them to market? It's difficult to say because it completely depends on the country and the fabric. Um, so it, it will be anywhere between four to 12 weeks from pressing the button on a, on a reorder. Yeah. You mentioned Zoom. I know Zoom Life has worked well for brands that do accessories. What's been your experience and, and do you have accessories? So we launched shoes a year ago. Now that's not very good for above the, above the desk. 
<laughs> but um, because we focus on outfit building, uh, we had lots of requests for shoes and shoes really has opened up the rest of the collection. So rather than try to become a shoe specialist, we've gone, what do you need to wear with? How do you unlock that dress in the winter? So I'll give you a good example. We used to always insist that the dresses for autumn winter had black in them so that you could wear them with black tights. But actually, if you do a shoe that we did, a sh- a, one of our fastest selling boots this time is um, olive green. And that opened up a print that didn't have to have black in it. So it, it gives us uh, an ability to do more creative outfit building. Uh, in the summer, we are... Uh, producing hats to go with the dresses um we've done sunglasses we're doing a a a lovely trade in belts so yes really anything that touches your body we will eventually make oh great apart from makeup one day who knows (laughs) oh my get into beauty and glassy Uh, wants to break the news (laughs) no it's not breaking news that's a very that may never happen but uh, it just popped into my head (laughs) Never say never is um is growth from 2021 to 2022. That's outrageous. It was like almost doubling the business. Tell me what happened there. It's so many years in, and then it was like boom. A lot of that was like a lot of that was live stage with me, and um, also building the team. So, as I said to you at the beginning, I started the business um, with a business partner. She left, <laughs> so I was doing it on my own. I also was a mum and a stepmom living in two places, supporting it. I was a busy corporate wife supporting my husband's growth. Um, it was doing well. It was ticking along, but it was when, um, the children got to a more independent stage that I was really able to focus a hundred percent on the business. And then I started building out the team and it was when I started building out the team that then you start to see the acceleration. How great. What were some of the key hires, if only positions? C-suite folks, marketing, uh, so the merchandisers, first, I don't know. The first key hire was um, my CFO. Uh, so I never had to worry about staying cash flow, getting ready for board meetings, uh, P&Ls. That was taken care of. That was a big part of my brain that I could switch off from. Um, although I see the numbers, obviously, but I didn't have to worry about the efficiency around that. Uh, the other um, really key hire was the production director. Um, so the supply chain management was huge. Um, and it was at that stage that I was able to have an idea and she made it happen. Um, we had a head of design, but then we brought in a very senior design director and she was able to then manage a big team of designers and those designers pulling them together and getting them to work in and to pull outfits together. So when the knitwear designer is designing a vest, the blouse designer is making sure that everything lines up and that the top is the right length for each trouser. Um, So outfit building became possible. And then we brought in a growth director and uh, he he, um, focused on the digital channel performance and then we brought in a brand director um and so on and so on so so yes um it, it you know none of these businesses are not built single-handedly and it, it was the team that really helped me to to accelerate the growth 
Good for you. When you're expanding to the U.S., is it necessary to have, other than obviously store associates, but feet on the ground in the States? It will be, yes. At the moment, we've just, as you say, we focused on stores because that has to be on the ground. We've got agencies, the PR agency, for example. Uh, We have a strategic agency. We have direct marketing agency. So we're using it. uh, We've got agencies plus some on the ground. And yes, um, we will then start to hire, of course. Yes. I love this concept of your monthly lookbook, your monthly catalog that's distributed far and wide. I would just think that those beautiful images are what you're repurposing for Instagram, repurposing for your other social channels. Like, is there like a big, do you have a content studio? Like, how are you keeping this content flowing? (laughs) It's beautiful. On your Instagram, go on the Instagram. It looks great. It's a good, it's a good question. And um, at the beginning of this year, we moved to a really beautiful um, new head office in London and it's it's got acres of space and we've really been able to build the culture of the business in well we designed the office around the culture of the business and one of those was about putting creativity at the heart and center and letting everyone share in that creative output and so putting the studio in house has been a bit of a game changer on speed of creating content so yes great observation Ah, I was like, I guessed it. I like that that is actually happening. (laughs) Oh my gosh. What would you say is challenging you these days as we wrap 2023? Still, um, it's been going on for a long time, but definitely um, big customer change, big changes in customer mindset. So as you know, we had Brexit. Uh, That was a a big shift. Um, The Ukrainian war, um, now the Middle Eastern conflict, um, the um, post-pandemic rush, uh, the pandemic, the, 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 the customer is constantly changing, stopping and starting. Uh, and that is a permanent challenge. For sure. Would you say your customers also demanding, like, do they want to know about your values and your approach to sustainability? Do they want to see your face as the founder and who's behind the brand and all the things? We've done some interesting research around what customers want to see around me. And they seem to be most interested as me as a businesswoman. Uh, so that's where we focused, focus me. I mean, I, I'm not great in front of the camera. I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a natural showman. So um, sticking, sticking to the narrative around the story and what I do and and why I understand busy women well and building a business around that is 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 where we've focused my profile as it were. In Australia will you be opening stores and maybe I don't know dabbling in physical retail and expansion just like you are in the states seeing as it's in your top three TBD? Um, we definitely will. I can't give you an exact time frame on that, but yes, we definitely will. Amazing. Any other goals for 2024? Goals for 24 would be making sure that we open the stores successfully in the US. We really want to get that right. As you said at the beginning, many British businesses have come in and failed. So a real focus on on, on getting those up and running and uh, joining the dots across the omnichannel business with that and looking for the next round of stores, whilst keeping a very careful eye on the brand and the pricing and the quality and all of the things that you also need to do. Um, Yeah, that would be, that's my main focus for next year. You will have a party, you'll bring influencers. (laughs) 
<laughs> It'll be fantastic. Oh my gosh, Claire, thank you so much for being here. I think we did it. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.